This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ahead this hour, the legacy of Silas Hunt and the University of Arkansas. Near the end of January, the university announced in the state newspapers that it would allow admission of African-American students to the School of Law, although the announcement also said they would be taught in separate classrooms. The announcement of segregated classes caused Clifford Davis to reject admission, but word soon arrived that two more students, Silas Herbert Hunt and Wiley Branton, planned to seek admission. Charlie Allison furnishes another story connected to the U of A's first 150 years. And just ahead, an excerpt from last night's first-ever live recording of the Undisciplined podcast. Host Karee Banton and four black business owners gathered in downtown Rogers last night. The full episode will be released a week from today, but we'll share some of the conversation just ahead. The number of reported deaths from COVID-19 in Arkansas continues to increase by the dozens. Yesterday, the Arkansas Department of Health added 28 newly reported deaths from the virus. 9,895 Arkansans have now died from the disease. The ADH reports just fewer than 3,000 new cases in the last 24 hours, 118 fewer hospitalizations, and a decrease of active cases by about 2,700. A large-scale vaccination clinic will be hosted by the Northwest Arkansas Council Friday at the J.B. Hunt headquarters in Lowell from 8 until 4. First, second, and booster shots will be available for people age 5 and older. The council is also hosting a seven-day-a-week testing site at the Washington County Fairgrounds from 8 to 4. Colby Fulfer is the newest member of the Arkansas legislature. The Republican won a special election yesterday to serve as the state Senate District 7 representative. He received 34 more votes than Democrat Lisa Parks. Mike Wiedeker will serve on the Fayetteville City Council after winning a three-person special election race yesterday. He received 362 of the 742 votes that were cast. And the Arkansas Razorback men's basketball winning streak is now nine, and the ninth win came in historic fashion. Last night, Arkansas defeated number 1 Auburn in overtime. It's just the second time the program has earned a victory over a top-ranked opponent and the first such win ever in Fayetteville. The lone previous victory over a number one ranked team was a 1984 win over North Carolina and Michael Jordan. This is Ozarks at Large. Last night was the first ever live podcast recording for Undisciplined, the collaboration between the African and African-American Studies Program at the University of Arkansas and KUAF. Dr. Karee Batten hosted a panel of black business owners and entrepreneurs at Into View Gallery and Studio in downtown Rogers. The panel featured Keith Kidd, owner of KDK Chicken and Waffles, Nate Walls, owner of Secondhand Smoke Barbecue, Kenya Christian, owner of Into View Gallery and Studio, and Osis David, owner of Tropical Market. Dr. Banton began the panel discussion by asking everyone about their inspiration to start a business. We hear first from Keith Kidd. And my dad started a janitorial business in 1961. I was born in 1962. And he was very, very successful as years went on. By the 80s, he had 100 and 150 people working for him. It was very successful. And I got, I got the taste of that 
watching my mom and my dad run their janitorial business. And that's when I realized I wanted to work for myself. And I got a scholarship to play here for the University of Arkansas, Orson and I, and I played professional football. But I knew right then in the early age that I wanted to work for myself because I saw my mom and dad do that. And they were very successful with their janitorial business. So as time went on and I stayed up here in Northwest Arkansas, uh, since I've been up here in 1980, when I came up here, there weren't any food up here for blacks. There weren't any hair products. We had to go all the way to Little Rock to get our hair cut. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't anything up here for us to do besides go to school and play football. That was it. And when I got cut from playing with the Minnesota Vikings, I knew then I wanted to come back and started a, a, a black-owned business. And I started my janitorial business in 1988. And then in 2019, I started KDK's Chicken and Waffle. Amazing. And so, yeah, it's Amazing. been great, though. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> an amazing story, Mr. Waltz. So uh, it's kind of the same way. Um, I've been cooking since I was like six years old. My mom had a little of uh, what they used to call a juke joint and, uh, and uh, uh, cooked soul food and um, it was beer. And, and I'd sit up on a bucket and cut potatoes and onions and whatever else she didn't want to do. So, so I was just born into it, you know, uh, raised into it and... And I always said that I wouldn't cook for a living because I loved it so much. Right, right. Um, uh, but God had something else for us, and we, um, um, and I didn't want it to take forever, you know. <laughs> and and it started by accident, but I was like, man, I'm like forty something, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and how do you get the most uh, for your book? is to beat somebody. Mm -hmm. And so I started going to all these, all these contests, gumbo contest, chili contest, <laughs> soup contest, and I started beating people. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it, it uh, got to going, but I started knocking on the door to do it like a salesman or a politician. They say I talk like a politician. And, and people called me names and threw me out. And I never saw that side of Fayetteville until just then, but I adjusted. You know, mm -hmm. I always said that that you got to be in the framework that this is not everybody. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we started building, and it took everybody to do that. It wasn't just one color that helped me out, but but I did learn something through that whole process, and I kept hearing that you didn't. Uh, you didn't ask the right questions. And that's uh, held us a hostage for a long time, is you didn't ask the right questions. So mm -hmm. I think that's, that's, if we learn anything tonight, we need to learn how, how a new business uh, model, a new entrepreneur would say, what are the right questions to ask? Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Miss Kenya. <laughs> I don't know how I follow these <laughs> gentlemen. Um, I think I got my spirit from my parents who were um, just a young black couple, newly married, living in inner city Kansas City. 
and they determined when they when my mom got pregnant with me that they were going to um, forge something better, you know, break whatever cycle they may have felt like they were in, and they moved into a suburb in, called Independence of Kansas City, and this think in the mid '70s, first black family on in the neighborhood, and half the neighborhood moves away, and. One thing that they instilled in us is that same spirit to be the first, and despite whatever obstacles or adversity you may face, you you do that. Put you're all into it, and so that's what they put into me and my sister that spirit to to n never have any no in you. Mm -hmm. Don't ever give up. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't do, and do what you want to do. Do what makes you feel complete and so that's what I did and that's the spirit I've always had yes we've had to work half as hard or ha twice as hard to get mm -hmm. half of mm -hmm. the respect that other people had sure. but you know what that's I was instilled in me that was just a fact mm -hmm. right we we don't it's have an option mm -hmm. you know we don't have an option we have to do that and so exactly. I always was looking to, for ways to excel and to do those things that I felt like in my heart I wanted to do and so here I am 46 years later in Arkansas, didn't see myself here, but 22 years now, I thought, well, I'm here. I'm going to make the best of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm following my creative passions, not only in the art realm, but also in the wine realm. There's not enough representation in that industry. That's always been an industry that's been put out of for black people that you can't have. We don't own the land to do it. We don't have the capital to do it, to produce, and to, to break into such a um, what's a wealthy industry. And we're doing that now, and we're mm -hmm. being recognized for that now. So as an artist, as someone who's a wine steward, this is something that no one, I think about my parents, don't, tell them, don't let nobody tell you what you can't do. You go do it. And you may have to work twice as hard, but that's what, you, that's what we put in you. That's in your DNA to do that. Mm -hmm. And so here, here I am. Mr. David? Yes, uh, my name is Osses David, thank you, and what a wonderful opportunity and to the panelists. Um, for me, um, it's really, I share a similar passion and inspiration from my parents. I'm originally from Nigeria, West Africa, and my mom was a trader, and I moved to the United States in 1986, and um, I went to school, mechanical engineering, and then ended up getting uh, some degree in information technology. So Walmart recruited me here in 2002. Wow. And when I came here, you know, I didn't see people, much people that looked like me, black people <laughs> in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was hard. I remember one experience when I came for the interview, I said, um, I want to, I, I Googled the restaurant around here. I saw, I believe it was Ryan's restaurant, all you can eat. I said, yeah. surely you find black people in that. <laughs> and I know you can eat restaurants. So I rushed down there and I looked around. There was not a single black face. <clears throat> I was frightened. I said, yeah. well, I, I mean, what decision am I able to, am I about to make? Is this place frightened of uh, black people? I went to the mall, I looked around for maybe about oh, 30 right. minutes before mm -hmm. I found the first black person I ran. It's probably I was me. with my <laughs> wife. <laughs> and she, I met this gentleman uh, and I asked him, I said, 
I've been looking for black people in Northwest Arkansas. You are the first. He laughed and laughed and said that uh, Northwest Arkansas is a great place, that he's been here for a while and the community are so welcoming that I have nothing to be afraid of. So he calmed my fear and I jumped in, you know, to work for, I accepted the job to work for Walmart. But when I came, again, you know, finding ethnic food in the area was uh, a dream, far-fetched. <laughs> so we have to drive to Dallas or Kansas City to find ethnic right. food. Yeah. But, you know, my wife and I, instead of complaining, we decided to do something about it. You know, just uh, the entrepreneurial spirit reaching back, you know, to my mom. She was a trader, a petty trader from back home, and we reached out to that inspiration. So we founded the Tropical Market here in Rogers on Walnut Street next to Papa John's Pizza. And we decided to do something about it so that people from uh, the Caribbean or, or Africa or other ethnic minority descent can come and find a place, a grocery store where they can get a taste of back home. So yeah. it's so inspiring to meet people having to find things from jollof rice, you know. <laughs> we won't get into the fight on <laughs> that ethnic food in the town. And uh, so it's really been a joy. I'm really pleased to, hear, to be here today to share more of my story. So that's, uh, that was my inspiration. Thank you. We just heard from Osis David, owner of Tropical Market, Kenya Christian, owner of Into View Gallery and Studio, Nate Walls, who is the owner of Secondhand Smoke Barbecue, and Keith Kidd of KDK Chicken and Waffles. You can join us at our next live recording. It takes place next Tuesday, February 15th, at the historic St. James Missionary Baptist Church in Fayetteville. You can find more details about that event on our website, KUAF.com. And if you missed out on yesterday's event, don't worry, because you'll still be able to hear the full panel next week in your podcast feed. So make sure to subscribe to Undisciplined to hear this and more. American singer, songwriter, and actor Josh Groban and his Harmony Tour with Preservation Hall Jazz Band will perform on Thursday, July 21st at Walmart Amp in Rogers. Tickets are now available at amptickets.com or 443-5600. Support for KUAF comes from Malco Theaters, offering reserve seating at the Rogers Cinema Grill, Springdale Cinema Grill, and Razorback Cinema Grill and IMAX Theater in Fayetteville. Showtimes, tickets, and more information available at malco.com or the Malco app. This is Ozarks at Large. The Washington County Historical Society Black Settlers Committee was formed to cast light on early African-American pioneers, both enslaved and free, in this region. The committee's name was later changed to Diverse Settlers to be racially inclusive. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich spoke with committee chair Margaret Clark to bring us this story. When we think of Arkansas Ozark settlers, most of us picture white Europeans. But Margaret Clark, Ph.D., an assistant professor emeritus of French and secondary education at the University of Arkansas, has changed that picture with the founding of the Black Settlers of Washington County Committee. The Black Settlers Committee was established as a response to information from the Arkansas Black History Commission about grants available under the Curtis A. Sykes Memorial Grant. It was initially charged in 2014 with the drafting and submission of a grant proposal. The proposal was successful, and we uh, presented our first program 
in 2015 on early black settlers of Washington County. That same year, the committee published a bibliography on black settlers funded by the Black History Commission of Arkansas. An annotated compendium that was conducted by Carolyn Leonard, a member of our committee who was a retired librarian here in Fayetteville. The compendium was a reaction to the discovery that there were so few items that would come up to a search for writings about blacks in this area of the state. And so in as much as I had served for years on the University of Arkansas's press committee and knew of at least one or two works or so that had been printed by our press even that were not even on that listing, I was really eager to get this project started. The comprehensive bibliography lists 70 items on early African-American presence in Washington County, ranging from books, newspaper articles, written local histories, scholarly articles, and pieces published in the flashback, the journal of the Washington County Historical Society, edited by Patsy Watkins. Also listed is KUAF Public Radio's two-hour documentary, Arkansas Ozarks African Americans, produced circa 2000, available online on our website. As time went on, the Black Settlers Committee decided to change their name to the Diverse Settlers Committee. But the name was changed primarily because we decided to broaden our outlook to include other ethnic and religious groups other than just the black settlers. And this has led to our presentation of three programs in this vein, Native Americans, where we focused on Cherokees in particular. Secondly, a program that addressed the Abrahamic faith groups, Jewish Christian and Muslim here in Fayetteville. And thirdly, a program concentrating on Latino leaders in Northwest Arkansas. So uh, this year is the first time that we have uh, someone who comes from a Native American background, and that is Cherokee group. Um, Her name is Rebecca Lubaker. And Dr. Calvin White and I are two African-Americans. Along with Calvin White, Associate Dean of the J. William Fulbright College and Associate Professor of History on the committee are Alice Ann Simpkins and Joshua Youngblood. Now for Black History Month, the Washington County Historical Society Diverse Settlers Committee produced a virtual program available online, introduced by Clark, and featuring a song performed by Ella Donnell Lambie, an administrative assistant for the Vice Chancellor of Diversity and Equity and Inclusion at the University of Arkansas. God bless America, land that I love, send beside her and guide her. Through the night with the lights from above. 
The program includes an interview with Michael Pierce about the Nelson Hackett Project, an associate professor of history at the U of A. He's researched Hackett, who in 1841 escaped slavery in Fayetteville, fled to Canada, where he was arrested and extradited back to Arkansas, making him the first and only fugitive from slavery that Canada sent back to the U.S. Yes. Uh, when I presented to our committee the story of this man, Nelson Hackett, and the work that was being done by Dr. Michael Pierce in relation to sharing it with people in our area, they were all in agreement that it was a wonderful story for us to share with others, especially because it could more readily fit into a format that was not requiring face-to-face -face audiences in these times of the ongoing pandemic. The Washington County Historical Society proclamation highlights a National Black History Month Educational Committee directive encouraging Arkansans to visit local museums, libraries, history archives, and historical societies to access books, articles, and biographies on African Americans and Washington County African Americans. But also very particularly about the black settlers here in Northwest Arkansas and thereby expanding our knowledge of black history during Black History Month, as recommended by the National Black History Month Educational Committee. This spring, the Diverse Settlers Committee plans to highlight the growing Asian American and Pacific Islander community, including Marshallese migrants, Northwest Arkansas home to the largest population of Marshallese outside of the Republic of the Marshall Islands, who've legally migrated here to live, work, obtain health care, and educate their children. Because we want to have it in person where we can truly experience some singing, dancing, and eating foods from different uh, areas, different, different ethnic groups, along with um, learning about the early beginnings of their ancestors in our area. Members of the committee, as well as the Washington County Historical Society, post timely content on Facebook. We've also linked to the Society's Black History Month program, as well as to the Black History Month article about Margaret Clark on the University of Arkansas News. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Ground is broken in eastern Arkansas for what will be the largest private project in Arkansas history. U.S. Steel executives and Arkansas state officials gathered in Osceola yesterday for the groundbreaking for a steel plant. The project, estimated to be a $3 billion investment by U.S. Steel, will produce steel for cars, appliances, and construction materials. The company says about 900 new jobs will eventually be created by the plant. Governor Asa Hutchinson says the state hopes the new plant, in conjunction with a 2016 steel plant creation in the same region, will be enough to bring an automobile manufacturing plant to the state. No automobiles, but bicycles will take center stage at the 2022 Bentonville Bike Fest taking place this June. This year's edition will be centered at the Mama Bear Bike Track located next to the 8th Street Market in Bentonville. The festival organizers say is designed to celebrate all things bike culture and it's free. We'll be talking about it more as we get closer to spring, but you can find out more right now at BentonvilleBikeFest.com. And a reminder that the documentary from multiple Emmy winner Larry Foley, If This Walk Could Talk, which is a collection of experiences about the University of Arkansas's first 150 years, will have its premiere 
Thursday night. There's an in-person premiere at the Faulkner Performing Arts Center. It will also premiere virtually on the University of Arkansas's YouTube channel. Quick reminder, if you're in the mood for classical music, you can always go to KUAF2. That's our 24-7, around-the-clock classical music station. It's free. You can listen on your HD radio. You can listen at KUAF.com. You can ask your smart speaker to please play KUAF2. And you can also use the absolutely free KUAF app. Do not lose your hope. The Lunch Hour, KUAF's monthly concert and podcast series, is back with a performance by Mia Jeldum and lunch from Mockingbird Kitchen. You can watch this month's podcast on KUAF's YouTube page. And watch out for February's concert featuring Amour and Lunch from Secondhand Smoke, coming up February 18th here at KUAF. The Lunch Hour is sponsored by George's Majestic Lounge. Happy Wednesday. This is Ozarks at Large. Much of our show today is about history and history's role in the stories that are important to us. Charlie Allison, the executive editor of University Relations at the University of Arkansas, continues his survey of the first 150 years of the University of Arkansas with the story of an Arkansas pioneer. Wiley Branton climbed into the rear seat of the car. In the front seats were Harold Flowers, an attorney for the NAACP, and Jaleef Grice, a photographer for the Arkansas State Press. It was February and cold outside. Branton looked out the back window of the car and could see Silas Hunt, standing tall but solitary in his winter coat outside the house of Labe and Bailey Joyner. The car motored south on Willow Avenue and the image of Hunt receded from view and then disappeared altogether as they headed down a hill south toward home, toward places they knew, toward Pine Bluff. Silas, though, remained in a place new to him, without friends or family, in a world about to start changing because of the actions he had taken the day before. He had enrolled in the University of Arkansas School of Law, becoming the first African-American student to break the Southern color barrier in education. Six years before Thurgood Marshall won the Brown versus Board of Education case in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, Seven years before Rosa Parks took her seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus. Nine years before the Little Rock desegregation crisis. There was Silas Hunt, standing in Fayetteville, about to embark upon a law degree at a white university. I say white, but the truth is that the university allowed students of color to enroll, just not students of one particular color. The University of Arkansas allowed Native American students, Asian students, Latina and Latino students, international students, just no students from the black community. The long process of the university's desegregation, both before and after Silas Hunt, did not stand so neatly erect as did Hunt himself. The university began serving African-American students in a very limited capacity in the 1930s by providing educational programs through its general extension office, offering classwork in central, southern, and eastern Arkansas, but not at the Fayetteville campus. Black students hadn't enrolled since 1873, the days of Reconstruction. In 1938, Edward Lewis Jacko Jr. of Little Rock submitted an application to the University of Arkansas. The School of Law turned down the application, ostensibly because his undergraduate degree was from an unaccredited institution, Talladega College. Jacko instead got a law degree from the storied Howard University and ended up being counsel for the NAACP chapter in New York City and representing Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali, among others. In 1946, Clifford Davis sought admission to the University of Arkansas School of Law. At the time, he was taking law classes at Howard University, but he believed the University of Arkansas would be less expensive. His application, too, was turned down. 
He was told that his admission materials were incomplete, but that if he returned a full application, he would be considered. However, the Dean of Law, Robert A. Leffler, also let Davis know that the post-war boom in student applications might prevent his acceptance. Davis did not resubmit a full application that year, but he said he was not deterred and planned to reapply. Leffler had followed race-related law cases in surrounding states, the Gaines case in Missouri, and similar lawsuits being pursued in Texas and Oklahoma by African-American students who were denied admission to universities based solely on race. Leffler advised the new University of Arkansas president, Lewis Webster Jones, and the Board of Trustees to allow admission or to expect a lawsuit, and very likely a successful lawsuit. The state constitutions in both Texas and Oklahoma specified that segregation be maintained in their higher educational systems. But Leffler knew of nothing in the Arkansas Constitution that prevented admission of black students to the University of Arkansas. So Leffler offered a solution to the administrators that proposed to allow admission of black students to the School of Law, but which would internally segregate them from white students. The plan would also allow admission to the graduate school, but not the undergraduate programs. Desegregation within the campus would happen in steps, slowly, in hopes that such a method would dampen any protests by whites in the state and avoid lawsuits. In January 1948, Clifford Davis let reporters know that he planned to reapply to the University of Arkansas School of Law for the spring semester. President Jones called the chair of the U of A Board of Trustees, Herbert Thomas, with the news about Davis. The members of the board had talked informally in 1946 and 1947 about the likelihood that they would face a vote on integration at some point, and Thomas wrote many years later that the board members weighed the desire to provide proper educational opportunities for every Arkansan against what he described as the, quote, potentially perilous implications, close quote, that racial desegregation might create. Thomas continued saying, quote, Feelings were intense in many areas of the state. Although we recognized that Arkansas would have to attempt a solution of the problem of Negro education, most of us felt that any move toward racial integration in the schools, even in the colleges and university, would have to proceed slowly and with caution, close quote. The trustees had anticipated meeting for a decision on the plan, but a snowstorm prevented them from convening in person. Instead, Thomas called each of his fellow trustees to ask their stances on integration. The board members gave Thomas their tacit approval to allow Davis to enroll if his application was in order and his academic credentials were sufficient. Thomas said he recalled that two or three of the trustees, quote, could not bring themselves to vote for admission of a black student, but they also told him neither would they defy the court orders that had been issued in cases in other states. Near the end of January, the university announced in the state newspapers that it would allow admission of African-American students to the School of Law, although the announcement also said they would be taught in separate classrooms. The announcement of segregated classes caused Clifford Davis to reject admission, but word soon arrived that two more students, Silas Herbert Hunt and Wiley Branton, planned to seek admission. Silas Hunt grew up in Ashdown and Texarkana, where he attended Booker T. Washington High School. He was president of the student council, a member of the debate team, and graduated in 1941 as the class salutatorian. He enrolled at Arkansas Agricultural, Mechanical, and Normal College, the present-day University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, but his studies were cut short by World War II. He enlisted in the U.S. Army in the fall of 1942 and was assigned to an engineering combat battalion. The battalion was one of many trained to destroy enemy strongpoints, repair roads, and build bridges for the Allied invasion of Europe. When the invasion itself came, it moved fast enough forward that it put a strain on supply lines, and numerous black soldiers, including Hunt, were reassigned to drive supply trucks, an operation known as the Red Ball Express. Sometime during the chaotic Battle of the Bulge, Hunt was apparently wounded and left for dead in the winter snows on the battlefield of the Ardennes. 
After a couple of days, though, he was discovered alive, and he was transported to an English hospital where he recovered. Hunt was awarded a Bronze Star and honorably discharged in 1946, and he then returned to Arkansas AMNN College, where he graduated in late 1947. He applied to the Indiana University School of Law and was accepted for admission, but the actions of a former classmate, Ada Lois Sipuel, caused him to reconsider. Sipuel had applied to the All-White University of Oklahoma College of Law in 1946, but she was turned down explicitly because of her race, so she sued OU. Her case came before the U.S. Supreme Court in early 1948, and the court ruled in her favor on January 12th. The case had an immediate effect on Hunt. Instead of Indiana, he sought admission to the University of Arkansas on February 2nd, 1948. In addition, Wiley Branton also sought admission to the undergraduate business college. Branton had been supporting his family by starting a taxi business in Pine Bluff and taking the few undergraduate business courses offered by Arkansas AM&N. But those courses couldn't compete with everything offered by the U of A's full college of business. A small crowd of university students gathered outside the law building while Hunt, Branton, Attorney Flowers, and photographer Grice were inside. But no reports of protest were noted. Branton even recalled that a few students reproached their group to shake hands and wish them well. The student newspaper also covered the event and published an extra edition that day, including an article relating student views about Hunt's enrollment, the larger proportion of which supported his enrollment. Dean Leffler reviewed Hunt's academic record and admitted him to the School of Law. Branton was refused undergraduate admission due to the offerings available at Arkansas AM&N. Branton accepted the decision without liking it, and he returned to the university two years later to pursue his law degree. Hunt's enrollment began the long and arduous desegregation of education across the South and within the University of Arkansas. When he started his law courses, Hunt was required to take them in a separate room downstairs from the rest of the white students. He had to use a separate restroom and seek permission from a secretary whenever he wanted to use it. He wasn't allowed in the law library but had to request that law books be sent to him. He couldn't live on campus or eat at campus dining halls, but rather had to walk a mile and a half and bring a lunch with him from the Joyner home where he boarded in Fayetteville's black community. Nevertheless, in April, the Arkansas State Press, a newspaper of the black community, reported hearing from Hunt, and he wasn't complaining about his life. The State Press story said of Silas Hunt, quote, It won't be long before the Arkansas Negro will have a leader to pull him from under the oppression of white supremacists, adding that, quote, Mr. Hunt advises the Negro to get off his knees and fight for racial equality. Tragically, a little more than two months later, Hunt suffered a hemorrhage of one of his lungs, apparently caused by tuberculosis. He was treated initially at the Veterans Hospital in Fayetteville, but had to withdraw from classes before the fall semester began, and was moved to the Veterans Hospital at Springfield, Missouri, where he died in April 1949. His legacy, of course, was the continued desegregation of education across the South, and the eventual desegregation of the University of Arkansas in particular. He didn't live to see that progress, but his actions in early 1948 continued to reverberate on campus. Today, the university's Office of Admissions is based in a building named for Silas Herbert Hunt. The university established a Silas H. Hunt Legacy Award, which recognizes African-American faculty and alumni who have made significant contributions to the community, state, and nation. And on the 60th anniversary of his enrollment in 2008, the university awarded a law degree posthumously to Silas Herbert Hunt. With any luck, the visage of Silas Hunt will not recede today or tomorrow, or for another 150 years and counting.
Charlie Allison is the executive editor of University Relations at the University of Arkansas, and each Wednesday he provides stories and history of the U of A's first 150 years. You can find out more about the university's sesquicentennial at 150.uark.edu. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The Rave Cultural Foundation Master Concert Series welcomes Hymn Nichelle, a song from the Himalayas, on Sunday, February 13th. Hymn Nichelle Folk Dance features vibrant colored costumes and the thought-provoking messages through their simply tuned songs. Tickets for big screen or online viewing are available at raveculturalfoundation.org. Just ahead on this Wednesday edition of Ozarks at Large, a conversation with Bang and Jasper Logan about their show tonight at George's Majestic Lounge. Live music discussed in a moment. Speaking of live music, tomorrow, guess what returns? Talking tunes. We're going to talk about music. Timothy Dennis and I will sit right here in the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio and tell you what live music you can expect this weekend and beyond. I'm excited that it's coming back. I am too, and it's warming up. The weather's warming up. Shows are happening. I feel like everyone is going to come out after last week with all of the snow and ice. Everyone's pent up, or at least that's how I feel anyway. <laughs> I think that's how I feel as well. We'll give you the map to live music on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 on KUAF 91.3. You can always ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. In the U.S., people under 40 have never known inflation as high as it is right now. But their parents lived through even sharper price hikes in the 1970s and 80s. I think he's kind of pounded into my head about the dangers of inflation. How generational experience shapes our views of the economy today. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. All things considered today from 3 to 6 on KUAF, you can always listen to us by using the KUAF app. This is Ozarks at Large. Tonight, the stage at George's Majestic Lounge will feature a headline hip-hop show with Bang and Jasper Logan. Doors are at 7 and music, according to the George's website, begins sometime around 8.30. Yesterday, Jasper and Bang came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to preview tonight's show. Jasper says we can expect to hear some new music tonight. Individually, I think we'll probably both do new material. And then together, we have new material that we will do. Um, and I'm excited for that. I think, like, people have, like, seen us, like, you know, together often and, like, have always asked us, like, yo, when are y'all making music together? And, like, funny thing is that, like, we kind of didn't really get around <laughs> to making music until, like, Recently, like maybe a year ago, like we actually was able to like make music together at the same like space and time. Because usually what happens is like we'll hang out, we'll start talking about life and we'll look up and it's like two hours later. And then one of us will have to go and do something. And so we never actually got around to making music. But this time, like we we set a point and we actually got to make music and we get to perform that. So So what finally did you just have to schedule it? Did you just have to say? (laughs) This is the day. This is the hour. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I mean, you got to schedule everything nowadays. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so free-spirited and go with the flow that if you don't—I mean, to his point, sometimes we would we would come together with the intention to make music yeah. and, like, not do it because we're talking about how's life and how's home life and, oh, that restaurant is in Chicago? Oh, I didn't know. You know what I mean? Just a thousand things. And so, yes, you have to say, like, hey, we're going to spend our first 10 minutes just listening to music and seeing what 
comes and we're gonna spend the last like 30 minutes writing a song doesn't, doesn't matter how it sounds we're gonna write it you know what I mean and then you just kind of structure the time and before you know it you got a couple things under your belt so has the pandemic be it the pandemic itself how life has altered has that influenced anything with your performance or your writing yeah definitely I think uh <clears throat> for me but I think both of us like we're kind of like weird like um we we get a lot from like what's happening in the world um and we're like I, I guess present is a word um and so so present that we're just soaking up everything and like it just comes out like I mean I can remember like being you know four or five months into the pandemic and like I was like all right I got all these I got like 10 songs I'm ready to drop right now and then you know something else happens and you know then George Floyd happens and then it's like so much other things that you can like that like you need to like process and like sift through um and for me I just do that through music so like it's definitely a, a constant like uh, a thing that has influenced um some of the newest new material so do you bang same thing I mean like I, I didn't realize until recently that I'm introverted. And, yep, that's a fun fact that not many people would, would, you know, suspect about me because I'm fun and energetic and lively. And I like to be around people, but but I need to recharge kind of and process alone. Um, and so the pandemic actually was really eye-opening for reasons like that. Like, it just taught me a lot about myself. And so I am... I, I do need spaces and time where I can get out and connect with people and kind of feed off that energy. Um, but for my creative process, it actually has helped a lot because it, the pandemic in and of itself has helped me become more introspective and, and more aware of my needs and maybe more aware of where I was overextending. I think right at the time of the pandemic, I was just spreading myself so thin mm. and I didn't even realize it. Mm. But pulling back made me just see like how much stuff I was committed to and and how, you know, I think the more things that you that you commit yourself to, sometimes, not always, but sometimes the the less effective you'll be. And so like for me personally, I was able to just like I said, scale back a little bit and like give more attention to my music because we're in a time now where it's almost like quantity over quality. And so like particularly in hip hop, in our genre it's like, you know, you make a song today, you gotta put it out tomorrow. And sometimes it's like you make a song today, you got to put it out later tonight, yeah. you know, and like. Yeah. I, I, and, and feed the monster. Sure, right? I mean, sure. OK, you gave me that song three weeks ago. Yeah. What have you done since? Yeah. I mean, like in, in real time, I'm watching people lose. I mean, you it's you use the term fan base very loosely, because if, if somebody's just going to jump off your ship in three weeks and they probably weren't supporting you in the first place. But like I'm watching people lose fans because they're like, yeah, to your point, you dropped an album last month, but it's a whole new month. And I'm like. I grew up waiting years, years. Y- literal years yeah. for my favorite artists to release albums. And it's just like now you got to feed the monster. And whether that's music or even social media content, you know, a friend of mine complimented me today. Like, I see you crushing it with your socials. And I'm just like, it's tough. Like, it's not it's not easy. It's not, you know, because, again, you feel obligated. And now me and Jasper talk about this all the time. Like. That the way algorithms are set up, if you aren't posting frequently or the right words at the right times, like then you won't your stuff just won't get seen. Yep. Not that you don't have good content, it literally won't get caught in, you know. And how frustrating is that? Because you might have this inspired track. So frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> but just because you haven't done something yep. in X number yep. of times. Yep. Yep. It's it's frustrating and I think it's humbling too. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like there's there's a portion of it where it's like 
these are the times and like you kind of have to adapt and so like in order to like kind of scratch through or break through the noise like these are the things that you got to do to do that and like are you okay with yourself enough to do those things to step out and to like humble yourself or you just like nah I ain't gonna be I'm gonna just not post I'm gonna just not you know do whatever and then your music career don't go nowhere but it's like you gotta actually like you know still within the 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 reins of being who you are you know to the core but like also like you gotta humble yourself and like get out there so I guess the flip side, if this were 30 years ago, you'd be at the mercy of labels. Sure. Right? You couldn't, you couldn't get stuff out even if you had it. At least now you have the con- somewhat of the control. Okay. You can at least throw it out there. I, I ain't thought about it yeah. like that in a while. Yeah. Yeah. You, That's true. Well, I think you'd be, you'd be at the mercy of labels and you'd be at the mercy of like actually being out with people. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like you got it. Like we were, we were earlier today, we were standing outside of Georgia's like handing out flyers. And he was telling me about how he was handing out flyers at a coffee shop the other day. He was like, man, like it was humbling. Like, you know, you had to actually put yourself out there and be like, Hey, like, w- would you want to come to this show that I'm doing? You know? And so like, I think like with social media, we've kind of like, bypass that a little bit but like also that's still the most effective like when we get out and we invite people and we tell people like yo like we're gonna be here like come on out and come support and like they do you know so yeah so what is that like i mean you gotta go out you gotta hustle you gotta get people in then you write new stuff you're gonna perform for the first time you're sharing sure is that ever scary as, as an artist, we're pretty sensitive about our craft yeah. in general. You know what I mean? And anything you do, if you paint, if you cook, you know what I mean? My little brother's a chef, and so, like, every time he makes something, you know, he's, he's stressing out if I like it or not. And I'm like, you know what I mean? So any any type of art form you do, you know. So, yeah, there's a there's an element of, of reservation, particularly for me, because my music— is so personal. And Jasper's the same way. Like, yep. a lot of that stuff is so personal. I mean, I say some stuff in songs before I pray about it or even tell my mom. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and so, yeah, when when you're giving, I mean, Andre 3000, one of my favorite artists, has a line where he's like, you know, I, I put my heart in this music and I'm just subjecting myself to someone on the internet saying it's not good. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it is frightening. It is kind of like terrifying or passing out flyers to people, right? Like, I went to one of my favorite coffee shops, and I went to a tabletop of five people, and I'm, hey, I'm bang. Can I? Strangers. Strangers. Don't. And I only go up to them because they make eye contact with me, so I kind of feel invited. You know what I mean? And so I go up, and I say, hey, I have a show Wednesday. Would you like to come? And I kid you not, dead sil- five people are staring at me dead silent as if I was speaking a foreign language. And then one person finally says, uh... I mean, that's it. Uh, I mean, and that was it. <laughs> that was it. And so, I, and so, I hand them the flyer and say, "Hey, if you want to come, great. If not, no, no worries." And I walk out. I, I left. Wow. <laughs> but there's this there's this quote. Uh, I think it's by Tim Keller where he says, "Our greatest fear is to be fully known and rejected, but our greatest desire is to be fully known and like accepted." And like, like that's what it is with music and like any type of like art form you share, like you're trying, you're putting like your full self out there. And like with that risk of like people can either love this <laughs> or they can like fully reject this. You know, you, you really putting out your greatest fear uh, and your greatest desire at the same time. Because like we've also had the other side come like where I put myself out there. People hear a song um, and they go, this 
I really felt I had somebody just hit me today with, and uh, share, share one of my videos and they was like man this really hit me like thank you so much for this like this is exactly how I feel and like that's like man that's like amazing so don't you think it's better well I don't know let me ask do you think it's better to be completely true to yourself and get that rejection be it from one person or whatever than trying to do something else oh my gosh and people like something oh else. Oh my gosh. Mm. You, <laughs> you, you, it's, it's always better to be known and loved for who you are, even if that's one person. 100%. Right? And, and we see the flip side of the coin all the time. We yeah. see people who have to put on a facade or a persona in order to please. And it's just like, you've spent your entire life, career, energy, building this person that you don't even like when you go home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So everybody like you, right? Like, but you go, you go to the house, you look in the mirror and, and you hate that person that you've become for the sake of other people. So like, yes, the, the hope is that you can be, be secure enough inside and, and just confident enough to be that person. Here's the reality. Some people go like it. Some people aren't, yep. you know, and, and, and I was talking to a loved one and they said, you spend your life trying to make people like you. And, you spend your life trying to trying to please other people, and they're still going to say that you're selfish, and they're still going to say that like, you know, whatever they want. So just do you do it do it the best way. Honor me and Jasper used to talk about this all the time. Oh, you know, right. he he would ask, "Do you have to conform? Do you have to sell out in order to make it?" Yeah. And it's tempting. Like some people would say, "You you do," but like I think the brand that we're trying to promote is just like, no, nah, just be authentic to yourself. And the ones who rock with it, they're gonna rock with it. And the ones who don't, it wasn't for them. Yeah. How valuable is it for the two of you to have each other? Because you know the same stuff. You can talk about the same stuff. Extremely, like, valuable for me. I mean, like, we live right across the street from each other. Oh, really? I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, like, we, we hang out a lot. Like, and that's why I'm saying, like, it, that's why it took us so long to even get to the point of, like, making music. Like, I've known him since, like, 2015, yeah. maybe, 14. Yeah. <clears throat> And, like, we haven't made music until, like, 2020, maybe. twenty Yeah, 2020, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And, like, a, a lot of that time was just, like, hanging out and getting to know each other and building, like, a, a friendship. And, like, we kind of think the same along the lines of, like, things and, like, the world. And, like, we kind of, like, our careers are kind of, like, at the same um, space. And so, like... It's extremely valuable to like me to like have him to be like, yo, what should we do? What should I do about this? And like, you know, vice versa. And like, we get to have those conversations and we get to experience the journey with each other and like two different journeys, um, but also at the same time. So it's it's great. I think I was cool with you before I knew you made music and yeah. probably the same, probably, by, <laughs> you know, and that helped a lot. And so for us specifically being in Northwest Arkansas and being two, yeah. you know, men of color promoting a genre that's not super widely accepted on a local level, I mean, it's it's literally groundbreaking. And people have to remind me that it, in a lot of ways it's pioneering. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like, dang, I didn't, I didn't never thought about it like that. But to have somebody that's in the trenches and in the thick of things with you and like, you know, when I when I tell Jasper, like, bro, they just stared at me when I gave him a fly. Like, he can feel that and he can sympathize and, and relate. <laughs> and so it, it really helps to have someone who can share them same exact sentiments and experiences. Well, I want to touch on ju- that just a little bit, Bang. Let's say it had been me with the flyer. Yeah. I don't look like you. Right. And I would, and there's no way to know. These are five strangers sure. that we don't know. Sure. But 
does it cross your mind that they might have said something a little bit more because it was me handing a so my So my boy really encouraged me by bringing that to my attention. He said, like, bang, you got to remember, like, you know, we walk into to the, the coffee shop and he says, dang, it looks like an episode of Friends in here. <laughs> <laughs> so like, and, and he brought to my attention, we were the only black guys in there and like we weren't, you know. And, and I also, I mean, I did, I looked the part. I, I had my grill in and I had, you know, what you would consider maybe like rapper clothing. And so to, to those particular strangers, like you're saying, it probably was foreign. And and I didn't think about that because I just I mean I just think I'm bang I'm a, I'm a quality person I think I I care about people you know what I mean, but my boy was like bro they might not have seen somebody like you maybe ever and so you got to take that in consideration it's not your fault you didn't do anything wrong like it's a new experience for these people to to even have people promoting that way right yeah. and so like and and I didn't think about it at first but when he said it I definitely was like oh shoot somebody else might have got a different response but that didn't it didn't discourage me it just it just went on to show like it's a lot of work that needs to be done in Facts. in this area of like you know what we consider I guess training the community and mm-hmm. how to receive and support your you know your local artists all right what else should we know about tonight's show <sighs> it's gonna be good it's gonna be good. Come out. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's gonna be good. Th- this is my last, my my final push. If you haven't bought a ticket yet, yep. Um, like Jasper said, I mean, at minimum, you can guarantee it's a quality production. I did my first show with Jasper off the square at a venue that used to be there that's no longer there in 2017, and people to the, I mean that that'll be five years ago this year. People to this day talk to me about that show. And, and so it's going to be a good time. Um, and the last thing is, you know, in a lot of ways, you're a part of history. Yeah, yeah that's the biggest thing, I think, too, actually, now that you mentioned that. It's like we we realized today, like we were just at Georgia's and we realized today that like, yo, this might be the first like headlining hip hop show that they've had ever. And so like this is like, yeah, you you are a part of history. If you decide to buy a ticket, you decide to show up like I think you're a part of your automatically including yourself into something like way bigger than just this moment. Jasper Logan and Bang are at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville tonight. Music scheduled to begin soon after 8.30. Jasper, by the way, also KUAF's community director. They both talked with me yesterday at the Carver Center for Public Radio. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Lake Atalanta. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors included Jacqueline Froelich, Karee Bant, and Charlie Allison. And Matthew Moore is the producer of the Undisciplined Content. Our theme is titled First to Raw. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. We are a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums. Back with you tomorrow.